welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Welcome. So good to have you here this morning, whether you're watching online, perhaps you're doing a workout, maybe doing some cooking or going for a walk. We are so glad that you would join us here this morning. And I feel blessed and honored to share the word of God. Uh, Just in my preparation, I've just been um, thinking and just looking at the times we're living in today. There's so much trying to grab our attention. Um, just recently, about a month ago, my wife and I, we just got our newborn baby and he's a legend. His name's Victor and he just wants our attention at all times. And it's amazing because no matter how we're feeling and how tired we might be and how much we want to just do our own thing, the moment we hear him crying, we just forget all of that and we're just going to give him our attention because he's, he's worth our attention. But there's so many things that are pulling our attention these days. There's a clamoring at every periphery, it seems. And I just really felt the Lord just wanting us to converge our attention at a mutual meeting place. And that is specifically the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the place where his loving kindness, his tender mercies and his unending grace collided and was victorious forever over our sin and failures. It is the cross. And the title of my message this morning is Keep the Cross in View. And I just can't get past this old school, this plain, simple, yet powerful message that is the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, it is daunting as a subject in itself because even if you had the tongues of angels, like even if you had the silverous tongue and, and a mouth of gold, you would still fail to convey the glory that is the cross. It is so beyond um, what we can comprehend and it is beautiful and it is incredible. And that's why I just want to talk about it with you guys today. And I really sense the Lord wanting our attention to come on the place where he laid his life down for us. And somebody might say, well, you know, he's not on anymore. Can we please talk about the resurrection? Can we not get into all that unpleasantness? Can we focus on the good things, the, the, the things that he's accomplished now? Can we, can we talk about all that stuff? And I say, yes, of course. Like, yes, like, it's, yes, the resurrection is important. The resurrection makes the work on the cross valid. Without it, it's a dead work. It's a vestige and it's not a tangible reality in our lives. We need the work of the cross. We need the work of the resurrection. And, you know, if someone asks you why you love Jesus, you will answer because he died on the cross for me. But if someone was to ask you, why do you believe in God? You'd say, because he rose from the dead. He's risen. We need the resurrection. You know, throughout all scripture, there's, um, we have tangible evidence of the resurrection. There's about 16 different instances where, I'm pretty sure, where Jesus appears 
after his death to loved ones and to his followers. He appeared to Mary, he appeared, appeared to Peter. He chatted with two people on the way to Emmaus. He met with his disciples by the sea and he met with the 11 who were hiding behind a closed door in fear of the Jews. He wants us to focus on his resurrection. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 14 and 17 speaks to this effect. It says, And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Then it goes on to say in verse 17, And you're still in your sins. <laughs> so you're still in your sins. So we need the resurrection. And thank God for the infallible proofs that he rose again. Thank God that it's beyond all dispute and question. However, I just really felt the Lord just knocking on my heart about this simple truth that, yes, the resurrection is important, but he wants us to be mindful of what he did on the cross. He wants us to be mindful of it. And, you know, regardless of what you personally think about the cross, Jesus wants to remind us this morning with all the craziness that's happening in the world today that he was on it. You know, he was so committed to the work of the cross that he remained there until the work was completely finished. He also encourages us. He says, if you want to follow me, great. First deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He has been emphasizing the point of the cross. He wants us to have it in mind. On that angry, mean, biting beam, there he lay. And he wants us to be mindful of it. He endured the cross. He didn't delay it. He didn't circumvent it, try and make it end quickly. He endured all the punishment. You know, the cross, the crucifixion in itself was deliberately a um, purpose to delay the victim's death. And sometimes they would suffer for days dying on the cross. And he endured it all for us. And he remained there up until, and not a moment before, he gave his last breath. You know, he was so committed to the cross that he did not succumb to the taunts of onlookers. You know, many of us, we love to prove people wrong. And Jesus in that moment where he's just completely depleted, he had onlookers sneering at him saying, hey, you said you'd rebuild the temple in three days. Why don't you come down from the cross? Show yourself as God. And he did not succumb to the temptation because he was committed to the cross, because he had you and me in mind. And moreover, he had the will of the Father in his heart. That was the joy set before him. So committed to the cross that he, when he was offered some small mercy in the wine mixed with myrrh, or vinegar, upon drinking, he spat it out, not to alleviate any of the pain, not to dull anything that was happening in that moment. He wasn't to cheapen it. He was so committed to the point of even excruciating pain as he tried to mount strength just to get a few breaths in. He hears the cry of a crucified, um, uh, crucified prisoner alongside of him who says, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And he welcomes him into paradise, even to the point of the cross. That is how committed he was onto the cross. Even to the very end, on that cross, he remained and not a moment until he gave his last breath and added, it is finished. Oh, the Lord wants us to keep the cross in view today, church. He was so committed to the cross to take our place and satisfy the wrath of God. Matthew 27, verse 47, it reads, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, 
Nebuchadnezzar, saying, Eloi, Eloi, Sabakatani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are some of the most haunting and powerful and moving words in all scripture. You know, when we mention the cross, we're not giving glory to any piece of wood or the lashes or even the crown of thorns. We're not giving glory to the nails that were driven in the hands. We're not giving glory to the whips. We're not giving glory to the men who decided to put him on the cross. He wasn't muscled on the cross. He wasn't overcome. He wasn't killed. He wasn't a martyr. He willingly laid himself down. He was the perfect spotless lamb without blemish who became a curse for us. I'm getting excited today, church. Forgive me. I'm I'm not going to apologize. This is what it's all about. He became a curse for us. Deuteronomy 21 verse 23, it says, anyone who is hanging upon a tree is under God's curse. And he subjected himself to the lowest low, to the most despicable, the most worthless sight. You know, the crucifixions was, was reserved for the worms of society. And here is God in human flesh laying his life down. The Bible says that he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he willingly laid his life down so that we can be accepted by God, so that the wrath of God for our sins and for our failures can be completely satisfied and for his blood, his blood to cover us. Man, I'm getting excited today. Thank God for what he did on the cross. Let's keep the cross in view. It's amazing because of the work of the cross, the connection that we once had with God that was torn, it's now been reestablished. It's been restored forever. What Adam did in the garden that broke that union, we have in Jesus Christ, the better and the last Adam, who completed the work on the cross. You know, it's commonly believed that the father turned away because he couldn't bear the sight of his son enduring what he did. And while that's not incorrect, it's also kind of incomplete in scope because it is kind of, it's kind of portraying this thought that um, maybe things didn't go to plan, <laughs> that human depravity and the wickedness of man was too much for God to handle and so he turned away. But we know that that is not entirely true. We look throughout Scripture and we look through the Old Testament and there's this beautiful forecasting of God's redemptive plan for humanity. We see it through the, the God's interactions with Abraham. We see it through Isaiah. We see it through all that Scripture and the Psalms, God's plan for the redemption of humanity. Isaiah 53 verse 10. Some translations read that in God's good will... Another one says, it pleased him to crush him. (laughs) He crushed his only begotten son on behalf of you and me. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all on that cross, on that day at Calvary. He became our substitution and his blood was the propitiation. It was the atonement, atoning sacrifice for all our mistakes and for our failures and for our inability to meet God's standard. He did it all on the cross. You know, I really believe it's important to keep the cross in view because it is the center of our faith. You can't 
look at Jesus and not look at his work on the cross. You can't enjoy the resurrection of Jesus and the complete work that he's done without looking at the cross. You can't enjoy the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance without looking at the cross. You can't enjoy the forgiveness, the love. Without the message of the cross, we don't have the greatest revelation of hope to the world. We don't. To take the cross out of our faith is to be a faith that is not in Jesus. It is to be just a religion, just another religion. If we take the cross out of our faith, if we take the cross out of our view, then this is not a religion of Jesus. We're not pursuing Jesus. While we're not saved by these symbols, there's a lot of power in these symbols. And when we look at the cross, it's interesting when you look at the two beams that it's comprised of. It's got one horizontal beam and one vertical beam. The horizontal beam, we can imagine that the Saviour's arms were stretched wide and nails were driven into his hands. And in that image, while the world sees it as tragic and brutal and confronting, we see it through the eyes of his love. And there we see the friendliness of the cross as his arms are stretched wide, it is receiving of everybody. You know, some of us, we can't get along with our neighbours very well. We've got family members that we struggle to get along with. But this is the only thing that said, hey, if you just receive my blood, then you will receive from me and I will forgive your sin. There's no wickedness that is too far gone. There's no person that is too hard of heart to receive the love of Jesus and the friendliness that the cross represents. Not only does it point ver um, horizontally, but it points vertically. It points up to our Father in heaven. It sets our gaze on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It sets our eyes on God that we have business. We have a reason to call him not just God, but Father, according to Romans 8, that we could call him Father. And that's the only reason why we have that relationship with God is through the cross. It points upwards. It points our attention to our Father in heaven. And it also points upwards because when we look at the life of Jesus, he didn't say anything that God didn't say to him. He didn't do anything that his father would not have him do. He lived, he breathed to fulfill and complete the perfect will of the father. And to that he did. And we see it to the point of the cross that he accomplished that. It's incredible. In the message of the cross, it's so simple. And that's why I really believe that we have to keep the cross in view because sometimes we make things a little bit complicated and we lose sight of the main thing and we forget our good intentions from the start and we sometimes just get a little bit carried away by other things that aren't necessarily bad, by the way, but deviate our heart from Christ. It's the cross that points us up to the Father, the Father who so loved the world that he gave his only Son, The whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What an amazing promise. And we know that Jesus of whom the Father sent, who saved us, is not just someone who taught it. You know, theories are great. We need theories. We need new insights. But something about when someone embodies their message and he did to the point of the cross. Philippians summarizes it so well. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, even death on the cross. Philippians 2.8 The death he died on the cross is beautiful. Not because of the drama, not because of the romantics of it, not because of the theatrics, because he died for a cause. He wasn't some martyr. He was God in the flesh who laid his life down for us. And he encourages us to do the same. And this is why the gospel is so confronting. And this is why it's difficult to talk about the cross, even though it is such, it's the very revelation of love that we have. And this is why it's difficult to tell the world about it, because it's the simplicity of the cross that confounds the wisdom of the world. The world sees it as foolishness. You know, for many, it has proven to be an obstacle too great to overcome. And partially, this is due to the horror and the shamefulness and the suffering that is associated with the way Jesus died. And a lot of logical people would kind of come to this conclusion, thinking any God that would be crucified by mortals is probably not a god at all. That's probably the conclusion they have. And so when you hear a lot of people speak, they say, oh, he was a good man, he was a prophet, he was this, that. But they struggle with the idea that a God in heaven so loved the world that he gave his only son and to the point of the cross for us. (laughs) And throughout Christian history, it's really interesting that the cross has endured as the symbol, as the representation of a follower of Christ. It's amazing that they didn't succumb to become more seeker-friendly. They didn't feel the pressure to probably find a less offensive symbol than the cross. I mean, it would make a lot of sense, would it, to, to find a symbol that didn't represent weakness, that didn't represent depravity, that didn't represent death. But they held on to the cross. They held on to it. And if we look at the early church in Acts, they are surrounded, completely surrounded by a culture that fundamentally rejects the cross, fundamentally rejects it. And Paul responds to it in some effect. In Corinthians, there was a bit of contention towards Paul because of the nature of his message. It wasn't refined. And they were saying, can you be a little bit more like Apollos? Can you be a little bit more, can you embellish your message? Can you just make it a little bit more entertaining, a little bit more palatable? Can you, can you just make it a little bit more enjoyable for us, Paul? And Paul catches on to this and he responds in 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You know, I'll just stop right there for a moment. I just love it that it says that. You know, so often we try and add things to the gospel to try and make it sound better, but it's the simplicity of the gospel, which is power, which is life-changing. As Matt said the other week, it is a seed. It is the most powerful thing in the universe, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for the word of the cross, it then goes on to say, is folly for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. I want to repeat that. But for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Hallelujah. Paul was aware. He was cognizant of the public perception of his message. 
He was aware of the foolishness of preaching. He was aware that in itself is a failure. As I mentioned before, even if you had the tongues of angels, even if you were the most perfect person in the whole world, you would fail to convey the glory that is Jesus on the cross. You know, a great preacher once said, I preach as never sure to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. And I don't want to get bleak here, but this is why it's challenging because he, Paul knows that the message of the cross in itself, it's foolishness to the wisdom of this world. But to those who believe, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. And, you know, that's so true because so many times in my life when God has done something great in my life, it hasn't been in a sermon. And if it has, I can't remember that sermon or the person preaching. But what he does in our heart in a moment or over time is supernatural and it is forever. It is eternal. The word of God has lasting effect. And Paul would not dilute his message for a moment for the sake of the cross. You know, we often talk about how we're a church full of ministers, not just members. And the amazing thing about the cross and the message of the cross and why we need to keep the cross in view is that it empowers us to preach the gospel. Now, you might not have gone to Bible college. You probably can't quote five books of the Bible, right? Not many people can. You probably don't get to do it often. But here's the reality. If someone was to ask you, do you have a faith? Or do you believe in Jesus? And if all you did was tell them what Jesus did for you, how he died on the cross for you, and he healed you, and he redeemed and restored you, and he forgave you, and he set you free, and he's risen, and now I worship him. If you just spoke truthfully and plainly and simply about what Jesus has done for you, about the message of the cross, if you just had the cross in view as you were sharing your faith, then let me tell you, you are just preaching from the most powerful subject matter under heaven, because for those who believe in his power. <laughs> we don't need to add anything to the cross. The cross, the gospel is power unto itself. But the simplicity of the cross, the simplicity of this message of Jesus has always been challenging. You know, we look in the New Testament, we see for the Jews, it was a stumbling block. For the Jews, they made no distinction between a tree and a cross. They thought they were synonymous. And so for crucified criminals or individuals, they would apply the statement of the law, which we read early in Deuteronomy 21, 20, verse 23, where it reads, anyone who is hung on a cross is under a curse. And so in the first letter of Corinthians, we Paul really does shed some light on the Jews' perspective. And he says the Jews demand signs. And naturally, because Jesus was crucified on a tree, they considered that a sign that he was accursed. And so whenever they preached a crucified redeemer who has forgiven the world of sin and whose blood has accomplished it all, and now he's seated at the right hand of God, to them it was heresy. It was heretical. And they couldn't stand the, the preaching of it. They vociferously would um, condemn and combat any preaching about his authority being given by God and God being his father, they saw it as a stumbling block. The Greeks also were challenged deeply by the message of the cross. To them, it was confronting. They were challenged by it because they sought wisdom 
and they worshipped knowledge and they were cultured and refined. And so naturally, when they hear this message that is just so simple, but boasts such profound things, when they hear this message of such unseemly themes where there is a perfect saviour who died on a cross and was brutalised and beaten and, and, and slain on a cross, they hear that and they think, man, that is crazy. That's ridiculous. Who would believe that? That's nonsensical. None of our gods do that. That is the most pathetic thing. Who are these Christians? These weak Christians. And so to them, it was complete foolishness because it wasn't in the long the lines of the progressive thinking and the, uh, I guess, the smooth, polished um, orators of their day. They were so privy to all those things. And so when they saw the cross, man, they just thought it was complete and utter foolishness. Zooming out, though, and if we apply these contentions with the message of Jesus to today's context, we have our own stumbling blocks in society. And dare I say, even in a church, even in our personal relationships with Jesus, following Jesus, living for Jesus, we have our own stumbling blocks. There's things about the cross that still challenges our dysfunction. And that's why we need to keep the cross in view. The cross of Jesus Christ is staggering because it confronts our desire for independence. Independence means that we can be a law unto ourselves. It means that we can avoid a vulnerability. And so much of the culture of today is geared around carving a great life for yourself, being the individual that you are, finding yourself. And nobody wants to be saved from the life that they love. And the thought of following Jesus is a nice one. It really is. And a lot of people, they like the idea of Jesus. But if they were to respond correctly, if they were to, to what was done on the cross, to follow him exclusively, to love him entirely, to love him completely and obey him, that path seems a little bit too linear. It seems a little bit too restrictive. And it is appeared to them as a downgrade from their perceived freedom that they're entitled to. Second thing that the cross of Jesus Christ does is that it does that very thing. It destroys our entitlement. You know, when we lose sight of the cross of Jesus Christ, we become entitled. (laughs) We start believing our own hype and we forget what would be without him and who we are because of him. The cross of Jesus Christ will always sober our judgment. Completely it will. It's like hydrolyte. It would always snap you right back into shape. We become quickly reminded that we are not the hero when we look at the cross. We quickly become reminded at the work that Jesus did through his death and resurrection and the heart that he had for sinners and for his disciples and from all those who experienced him and came into contact with him. We are so challenged. And when we look at him, we're not the hero. When we look at him, we're not little G's. We're not little G's worshipping a big G, we are fallen and we are depraved and we have no business receiving the love of God if not for what he did. We don't deserve it. There's nothing that we could do to earn it. Romans 3.11 verse 12 reminds us this. It says, none is righteous. No one. (laughs) No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned away. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You know, our entitlement, it gets dismantled as we look at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
as we see an innocent sacrificial lamb without blemish in our place because he didn't just die for our sin. He died our death. He didn't just die our sin. He died the death that we deserved. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You know, entitlement looks to Jesus and the demands that he give a better life. It demands that Jesus fulfill every part of our heart's desires and not one thing to be left over. It demands everything from Jesus. But when we look at the cross, when we see Jesus with the cross in view, when we live for him all our days, pursuing him first, we look at Jesus as our everything and we look at him as worthy to receive our whole life, everything that we have to give, everything that we have to offer that we give to him. That is the difference when we live with the cross in view. And a preacher, a great preacher once said, if Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Challenging. But now we're really getting into it this morning and I just want to thank you if you've been listening this far. The cross of Jesus Christ does another thing. It's a stumbling block in another way for us today in that it exposes us for what we really are. <laughs> Man, if you're walking with Jesus and you're not feeling challenged, if you're not feeling, sorry about the clapping, but if you're walking with Jesus and you're not feeling just the weight of your sin, when you look at the cross and you don't feel the weight of your shortcomings, Man, maybe you need to look again. <laughs> it will cause you. <laughs> you won't be able to help it, but feel the weight of your shortcomings. And what that does, it opens you up to receive the grace of God. What it does, it makes you realize that his love is just beyond anything that you can fathom. It really blows you away. You know, I'll never forget in 2004, I believe, that's when the movie came out, I saw The Passion of the Christ and we went on one of the opening nights. It was a Friday night and my dad takes me and I'm definitely too young to see this film. <laughs> and one of the things that it captured so faithfully was just this visual confrontingness and the offensiveness of the crucifixion of Jesus. And they really portrayed that perfectly. And still to this day, whenever I watch it, I still get moved. I mean, it is incredible. But I was there that evening at Eastland and the cinema was like completely packed and there was a bit of buzz. People were chatting. I mean, people were just expecting another movie. I mean, there was a bit of buzz. They, a lot of people understood that it was quite graphic. And so I can imagine a lot of people were there for that very reason. But the movie starts and we watched the movie. It was very moving. Afterwards, when the credits roll, we didn't feel any pressure to move from our seat. In fact, the movie was just hit us hard, it hit me hard as a young kid. And I'm just like, what the heck is this? <laughs> like I went from picture books of Jesus dying on the cross with a little bit of blood on his hands and on his feet and like on his head to the passion of the Christ. Like everywhere there's blood. It's just blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'll never forget, like when the movie finished, I'm still sitting in my seat and there's this eerie silence that it seems to have enveloped the room. And I'm kind of thinking, 
did, they, did everyone already leave? Were they so offended that they already left? <laughs> and I just pivoted from my chair. We were sitting at the very front and it was dimly lit. And to my surprise, the cinema was still full. It was full. Not only that, people were stunned. I could not believe what was happening. Either could my dad. And eventually we just decided to get out from our seat. And then we decided to wait out the front of the cinema. We wanted to see everybody come out. <laughs> I know that sounds pretty funny. But we're waiting, we're waiting. And a few minutes later, patrons start exiting the building. They start leaving the cinema. And people are wailing. Man, like ugly, ugly crying. Like <laughs> the worst. <laughs> people were, were, tears were dripping down their face, man. They were just ugly crying. Some, one lady was screaming. Other dudes walked out there like they carried the weight of the world on their shoulders. And as a young kid, I didn't really understand what was going on there. But looking back, that must be what happens when the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to a group of people that had no idea about God, perhaps. Perhaps come from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different things have happened to them that day. But they all found themselves in the same place and were hit with the same sudden conclusion with the cross in their view and there was this amazing sense of the presence of God and it wasn't condemnation it wasn't feel bad because this is what Jesus did there was this beautiful sense of love I, I still can't forget it to this day it was incredible and looking back while I do believe that the strong themes had a part to play greater still I believe is the sheer simplicity of that message Jesus on a cross. <laughs> Jesus on a cross. You know, let me tell you, there's times in our life where we go through mountaintops and valleys and we, sometimes there's dark days. <laughs> um, it was once said, um, people have referred to it as the dark night of our soul. There's dark times that we go through, but something about when we just picture Jesus and what he did on the cross, it will just change your perspective. Because when you look at the cross, you're going to feel sin consciousness. I want to go so far to say that if you don't feel conscious of the weight of your sin when you consider the work that Jesus did on the cross, perhaps you need to look again till you do. Now, I just want to address something, however, briefly. I want to make a distinction between sin consciousness without Jesus on the cross versus sin consciousness with Jesus on the cross. You know, and I just want to say this. Without the cross, we're going to forever feel the guilt. Man, we're just going to feel shame. Um, the guilt is not what God does to us. It is the result. You know, that's, that's been the result of many preaching without the heart of Christ for the sinner or without recollection of God's heart and God's grace poured out upon the preacher. It's not what God does to us. God doesn't condemn us. Condemnation is the product of our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So if guilt and shame is what drives you to run up, up a tree and hide, it is condemnation that cuts the branch from under you. Condemnation will always apply guilt as payment for our actions. Without hope in Jesus, sin brings a dread. We know that sin brings about death eventually, but sin brings a dread. It casts a heavy shadow. There, there's no hope. There's no rescue. There's no substitution. There's, it's bleak, and it ultimately leads to death. 
you know, it's amazing when I talk to people and I ask them, you know, I asked one person, I said, what do you think you're going to go before when you die? And he, he answered, he said, and I really like this guy, he said, endless void, just nothing. And there's no hope without the cross. But this is sin consciousness now through the cross of Jesus Christ. This brings about a revolution. It brings about something completely different, which is grace and conviction. <laughs> so when you hear it said, Jesus died for my sins, through the lens of the cross, man, you're not hearing that as a condemnatory statement. You're receiving that as grace and you feel convicted. Now, when the Holy Spirit convicts, he's not pointing at your sin. He's not saying you are despicable. You are terrible. You are filthy. He's not doing that. He's pointing us to Jesus. <laughs> he's pointing us to our model of righteousness, who when we receive Jesus, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He points us to a holy standard of living where Jesus said, be ye holy as I am holy. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals Jesus. And we get that through the cross. And instead of getting what we deserve, which is death, we get what we don't deserve, which is forgiveness of sins, right standing, and salvation with God. However, when it comes to conviction and condemnation, the funny thing is often we don't like either. <laughs> We don't like feeling condemned for our actions. We hate living under the oppression of, of condemnation. And so a lot of people, when they don't hear the message of, of Christ, they normally double down and they pretend like it's fine and they just embrace this living. And then for us as well, like for those who come to church, maybe you come to church, maybe you follow God and you, you receive Jesus into your life. Maybe it's also a difficult thing when we're talking about conviction because conviction then implies that you do something about it. Conviction then implies that you start living in a way that matches God's standard, that you start embracing by faith the righteousness that you are in Christ Jesus. And this is why, friends, the cross of Jesus Christ is so divisive. This is why it's such a stumbling block, because it is confronting. As Paul said to the Jews, it was a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it is folly, because it's not easy to receive. But man, to those who believe, it is power. And I wonder today if we are ministers who are living every day, what was it? I'm just going to read it from the start. Who are every day and everywhere bringing the light and hope of Jesus. I wonder if we keep the cross in view, what the impact will be in our world. I really do. I really believe that it's going to be transformative when we keep the cross in view. You know, living with the cross in view is not just remembering. It's not just being thankful, even though those things are important. It's living it today. It's applying it to our lives today. You know, everybody wants to hear the message, how to live your best life now. <laughs> how to get the most out of today. How to be the best you can be. How to get every blessing that God has for you. But the reality of the gospel is when we look at Jesus, it's not what I can gain from him, but it's what I can give him. <laughs> it's what I can lose so that I gain him. This is keeping the cross in view. 
In Galatians 2.20, Paul famously says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith through the Son of Man who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, sometimes when we, we read the writings of Paul and Peter, we kind of have a little bit of a filter. We kind of look at them and say, well, they're meant to be extravagant. They're meant to be audacious because they're apostles. They have to be like that. Otherwise, what's the point? But when we look at this, it's not because this statement, that Galatians 2.20, you don't get that just because it's a trendy thing to say. You know, Paul's not saying that because he's an apostle. Paul's not saying that because he's extra sorry for the things that he's done and wants to be um, makes. We want everyone to know that he, he he's sorry to God and he's sorry to men that uh, of the life that he once lived, and so he's going to be extra zealous. This is not any of that. It's just Paul correctly surveying the cross. It's just him looking unto Jesus and getting a revelation of his heart for him and being completely overwhelmed by it, being completely challenged from the inside out that he can't help but come to any other conclusion than say, I am crucified with Christ. This is Paul with simple, correct theology. (laughs) He wants to emulate the saviour of the world. This is Paul looking at the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, where he says to his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up a cross and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. (laughs) For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Praise God. This is living with the cross in view. As I close today, I hope you hear the heart of this message. I am well aware that this is not a perfect message. This is not elaborate. All I wanted to do was just bring glory to the cross of Jesus Christ. And it just brings me so much joy. Just preparing this man, it's just been such a blessing to me. It's just renewed my joy. My my thankfulness has gone up, my appreciation, and and it's just been amazing what God is doing personally in my heart just because I've just been doing some work looking into the cross. Living with the cross in view pulls us to the only thing that matters. I wonder if we could allow these words of Jesus deny himself. If you would come after me... (laughs) Don't just say, I accept you, Jesus. I agree with some of the things you say, and now I'm coming after you. No, no, no. He says, this is how you come after me. You deny yourself. You take up your cross and you follow me. This is living with the cross in view. (laughs) You know, I can't tell you how many times I've lost sight of Jesus. Sometimes it's it's a day. Sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it's... A month, sometimes it's longer, and I've got a loving wife who is patient and she's just got to pray and just wait until I just snap back into gear. And normally it just takes a little time, but then I finally surrender whatever I was holding to to Jesus. <laughs> and it's not condemnation that then comes upon me. I don't feel bad. I'm reminded by simple reflections of his heart. 
You might say something simple like, I love you, son, and bam, all of a sudden back in focus. Living with the cross in view makes things simple. And it directs us back to the only thing that matters. <laughs> you know, when this life is over, it will all boil down. When we stand before the Father in heaven, it will all boil down to one simple question. <laughs> Do you know him? It's not going to be our achievements. It's not going to be the sermons that we preached, the rallies that we held. It's not going to be the crusades. It's not going to be the songs we wrote. It's not going to be the books we authored. It's not going to be the initiatives that we started. It's not going to be the good intentions. It's not going to be the, the, the family, the legacy. It's not going to be these great and profound thoughts that we have in the evening. It's not going to be these new creative ideas. It's not going to be any of that. The only thing that matters is do you know him? Because eternal life is not about getting to heaven. It's not about streets of gold. It's not about pearly gates. It's not about being right. It's not about being with your loved ones again. Eternal life is about him. It's about Jesus. It's all about him. And when we live with the cross in view, when we live fixated on his work, when we celebrate the life of Jesus and what he did on the cross, and we don't gloss over it, and we don't think that oh, that's just for now, for them, but not for now, but we hold onto it, we commune with it. You know, when he met with his disciples in the upper room or the, before the peace of the Feast of the Passover. He encourages them to take the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He shared with them. And he said, this is my body. Take this as often as you remember in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the wine. He said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you remember in remembrance of me. He wants us to live with the cross in mind. And what this does, it completely sobers our judgment. And the things that I prefaced this whole sermon before that can pull our attention and draw our energy, we suddenly realize the most important thing, and that is our focus and our commitment to Jesus. Set our eyes on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Because when we set our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ, <laughs> we're not going to miss him. Because if we try and separate Jesus from what he did on the cross. Jesus becomes a God of our preference and not the true Jesus who says, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. He's the only thing that matters. You know, I just don't know where you're at today. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you once did, maybe you're far from him. And perhaps you're just listening to this and you've just been stirred. It's just been an encouragement. Maybe it's just made you thank and praise God for these truths of what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. I just really believe and I just pray that God would stir your heart this week to reorientate back where you first experienced the love, and that is at the cross at Calvary. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we know that we can't ever match your standard. Lord, none of us deserve heaven. None of us are entitled to it. (laughs) We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Lord, we thank you for what you did through the work of your son, Jesus, whose sin was poured out for us and has covered us. Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us, Lord. Lord, I ask, Lord, that we would live every day, everywhere with the cross in view. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you'll strengthen those who need strengthening. Lord, to those whose faith is weary, Lord, would you allow it to rise, Lord. For those who need rest, Father, would they come and find rest in you, Jesus. We give you all the glory and we praise you, Jesus, for what you did in your death and resurrection. We love you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.